and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a bedtime story. Once again, catch my latest episode on the crossover with the Creepy Podcast. This week's entry, Dear Jeffrey, was inspired a bit by Practical Magic, one of my favorite movies. I hope you enjoy it. Next week will be my last episode on Creepy, and they are all original stories of mine. I try to keep them very eclectic as well, including next week's. So this week I have for you a story by Scott Ergola. Hudson Valley, New York native Scott Ergola has spent years honing his craft as a singer-songwriter, and I will link to Scott's music in the show notes. Please check it out. Ergola was intrigued with tales of the supernatural, folklore, and urban legends from a young age. He recalls discovering the scary stories to tell in the dark series written by Alvin Schwartz in grade school and becoming an instant fan of the horror genre. This is Scott's first stab at weaving his own tale of terror. This week, Scott has for us The Oak Hill Exchange. Maybe it was a glitch in the natural order of things, or old earthly energy seeping up from a crack in the stone foundation. But something extraordinarily strange was brewing in the old folks' home off Stony Lane. Oak Hill's skilled nursing facility sat perched high above the hamlet of Foster's, a little-known area nestled between the towns of North Peaceable and Bailey, just 45 minutes north of New York City as the crow flies. The home was built into solid rock and overlooked the Kichawa Reservoir, Interstate 486, and the Harlem Railroad Line. It had stood there for close to 80 years and would most likely see another 80. Oak Hill was the kind of place you would miss if you blinked while passing unless you had reason to look further. It served as the final home of countless individuals spiraling through their so-called American golden years. There was joy on the hill, celebrations, entertainment, and daily activities to engage in. But there was also great sadness due to the inevitable destination that each of its occupants faced in their near futures. Not that anyone spoke openly about it, But the idea crouched in the backdrop, like a lingering, unwelcomed guest. Millie Baker had worked at Oak Hill as a recreation aide for the better part of 15 years. She had not planned a career in long-term health care, but rather fell backward into the field straight out of college. She had responded to a job listing that was seeking a musician who could sing and play for the residents at a local nursing home and was hired soon after. Millie spent her days on the hill, entertaining the halls and day rooms of the facility with her guitar and a head full of songs from a variety of genres. She also planned special events and recreational activities to enhance the quality of life of the diverse population who resided at the home. Millie, or Mills, as everyone called her, loved the residents she worked with and many of them viewed her as a surrogate granddaughter. 
These relationships also filled a void for Millie, as she never had the opportunity to meet any of her grandparents. It was truly a meaningful give-and-take relationship. They were all in it together, up on that hill day to day, making the most of what life had dealt them as the rest of the outside world went on beating at a steady pace. Over the past few weeks, there had been a series of subtle yet odd disturbances that seemed to plague Oak Hills and the surrounding area. On October 4th, there had been reports of a minor 2.2 magnitude earthquake that hit Foster's. The quake was not widely felt, leaving many people in the area asking if others had experienced an off-balance sensation during the occurrence. Mills had been working at the time, and felt a small rumble that slightly shook the walls of the facility. It only lasted a few seconds, but was jarring and left her feeling uneasy. Then, there was the water. In mid-October, nursing and kitchen staff had reported brown, dirty water flowing from the faucets and showers during food prep and resident bathing. A thorough investigation of the plumbing was conducted, and the water department was notified, but the root of the issue was never determined, and ended up resolving itself. There had also been accounts of an unknown shadowy figure walking the grounds of the facility during overnight hours. The individual had been spotted by several staff members, but seemed to vanish into wooded areas when approached. Video surveillance cameras were reviewed, but the mystery intruder's identity remained unknown due to the poor quality of the recordings. Local authorities were made aware of the situation, and regular patrol of the area was instituted. In addition, several local hunters had reported finding the mutilated remains of deer in the hills of Foster's. The animals looked to be ripped apart by a large mountain lion. There seemed to be a shortage of rational explanations for everything that was going on. Maybe it was paranoia caused by all these strange occurrences, but Mills swore she had spotted a pair of green eyes peering at her from the woods as she walked to her car following her shift last night. She was more on edge than ever, but set those thoughts aside and refocused herself. It was a Thursday in late October, and Mills was heading into work for a 12pm to 8pm shift. She locked her apartment door behind her, and walked out into the brisk, late-morning air. Dry leaves crunched under her shoes as she made her way to the car. Outside was a swirl of autumn colors at full peak, putting on a fiery show before the gray of winter set in. She jumped in her car, popped on an old pair of aviator sunglasses, and took a quick look at herself in the rearview mirror. She scooped up a bunch of her wavy black hair in one hand, and trapped it in a messy bun at the back of her head with the other. Then she kicked the vehicle into drive and was on her way. An old blues tune, Smokestack Lightning, sung by Howlin' Wolf, poured out of the car's speakers, and Mills rhythmically tapped her fingers on the steering wheel. The song was a stark contrast to everything one might think Millie was from a distance. But for her, that music ignited her soul. It made her feel like a powerful freight train rumbling down the tracks. 
She recalled visiting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio once, and being most impressed by the well-worn guitar of Wolf's that now sat neatly on display. Now an artifact from a distant past, but once a driving machine with a purpose. Mills wondered if her guitar might ever sit sadly unused like that someday. It seems unfair to the instrument, she thought. She made a ride off of Stony Lane and proceeded up the hill to her place of work. She parked, tossed her aviators on the passenger seat, and retrieved her beat-up Martin acoustic from the back seat. As she walked towards the building, she couldn't help but think that the right song played at the right time could change the course of life itself. As Millie entered the lobby of the facility, she noticed an unusual stillness for noontime on a weekday. Furthermore, no receptionist was sitting behind the front desk to greet her with a tired, friendly smile when she arrived. In fact, she didn't see a single soul anywhere. Approaching the desk, she noticed a handwritten note to the left of the visitor log. It read, Dr. Young is in. Please report to the parlor room. Mills picked up her guitar case, slung it on her back, and reluctantly made her way to the lobby stairwell, where she began to slowly walk up to the second floor. Who the hell is Dr. Young, she thought. She told herself it was probably just some in-service she forgot was happening with a hotshot consultant who was going to lecture on new techniques for Alzheimer's and dementia care. This is the story she told herself. But she still felt uneasy. The first floor was mostly offices and a large kitchen. The second floor consisted of one long hallway with three short hallways lined with residence rooms extending southward. In between two of the short hallways sat the parlor room, a large gathering area where most groups would take place and where residents ate lunch and dinner. From an aerial view, the building must have looked like a giant uppercase E stamped into the hillside. Mills could feel her jaw clenching as she neared the top of the stairs. She paused for a moment to wipe a bead of sweat that had gathered just above her brow. As she opened the door, she could hear a voice coming from down the hallway to the right in the direction of the parlor room. Mills followed the voice and walked gingerly into the parlor so as not to disrupt whatever it was that was going on in there. A tall, slender man with sharp features and a slicked back salt and pepper mop of hair turned towards Millie as she came through the door. He sported a crisp white lab coat and a rounded pair of glasses that popped against the rigid angles of his face. His green eyes pierced through Mills as she stood there trying to figure out what was happening. Her heart sunk and Mills flashed back to the green eyes from the night before. She contemplated turning around and running, but the thought of the residents she had grown to see as a family, being in some sort of danger, pushed her to stay. The 48 current residents of Oak Hill sat quietly, assembled in a circle around the strange man. They didn't make a peep. 
Who are you? Asked Mills. Me? The man replied. Where are my manners? He said, with a sinister sort of grin. I am the new medical director. My name is Dr. Young, and I'm here to get things done. We've been waiting for you, Miss Baker. Mills stood bewildered as the man continued with his insane rambling. Do you know that the stone on which this building lies has medicinal properties that can turn back time? He thought for a moment, then amended his statement. Well, not time itself per se, but under the right circumstances, it's been known to restore those in need to a spryer state of being. But there's a cost. Millie gasped for a moment, but maintained her composure. She looked around the room at the residents. The familiar faces were transfixed on Dr. Young, who seemed to be glowing with delight. He looked around the room at the crowd he had assembled and invited Millie in. Where is the rest of the staff? Mills anxiously asked. Dr. Young answered without missing a beat. Oh, they've been put to sleep in the basement, dear. I need to get them out of here. I assure you that they're all okay. I just needed them to stay away. Mills felt a chill run down her spine as she tried to make sense of the bizarre situation she had walked into. The sky outside of the building turned slate gray and gigantic raindrops began to splatter madly against the window, making it almost impossible to see outside. It was like nightfall had come midday without warning. Millie's head began to pound and the room began to spin uncontrollably. She took a deep breath, bit her bottom lip, and regained her composure. She could hear the doctor chanting, Play us a song, Mills. It won't be long, Mills. There's always a cost, Mills. Not all is lost, Mills. Over and over again. Millie once again felt the urge to turn and run. But instead, she found herself drifting closer to the center of the resident-lined circle where the doctor stood. It was as though she was being pulled along by an invisible thread that was fastened to her entire being. She could feel the weight of her guitar strap dig painfully into her shoulder, but she couldn't move. She saw the eyes of the residents stare with a hypnotic gaze as she drifted forward. Before she knew it, she was standing face to face with the man. On a closer look, she began to doubt that the doctor was a man at all. His skin had the texture of an old latex costume mask that had been left out in the sun to fade and weather. His scalp line and around his eyes, nostrils, and mouth looked to be peeling away and rotting right off his face and he omitted a putrid sulfur smell that made Mill's stomach turn. 
His wide green eyes were glowing wildly. In disbelief, it dawned on her what the doctor truly was. You're, you're a demon! Millie shouted with a quiver in her voice. That may be so, but it's time to roll, the doctor announced. Here's how this is going to work. A spell to cast, a trade, of course. He continued. You're going to play a song for them. It must be done by kin or friend. It has to happen on this rock. The time is now, and the date is locked. There's souls for me and youth for them, and you're the sacrificial lamb. The only consolation, dear, is your soul will be in the clear. At this, the demon let out a blood-curdling howl. Millie set down her case and uncontrollably took her guitar out and tuned it. The demon had his hold on her and she was unable to break away. In his clutches, she began to play the first song that came to her mind. Whoa. Smokestack lightning Shining just like gold She sang and played with all the passion and drive she could muster. She played like a fierce freight train rumbling down the tracks, ready to derail at any moment. The demon grinned with delight and began to chant in Latin. It drew a dagger from its white lab coat and held it above its head. Mills sang on. The demon continued with the incantation and looked up at the jagged object, readying itself for what would come next. At that moment, Mills caught something out of the corner of her eye that sent a jolt of clarity to her brain. It was a silver crucifix, sitting on top of the rolling altar used by visiting priests from St. Mary's during Sunday Mass. Her mere awareness of the holy item broke her mental focus free from the demon's spell. There and then, she decided to adjust the contract, interrupting the ceremony. She would offer her soul for the safety of the residents in the room, asking for nothing in return. Mills cried out as the dagger came soaring towards her heart. I sacrifice my soul to trade and cast you, demon, far away! Now, she was in control. Somewhere down the hill, a train whistle blew, sealing the deal. The knife pierced Mills's chest, and before the demon knew what had happened, she fell to the floor her guitar landing right beside her. The demon screamed in mournful fury as he picked up Mills' body and captured her soul by taking a deep, wheezing breath inward. He had captured Mills' soul, but not the residents. With that, both he and Mills dissolved into thin air, leaving no bodily trace behind. The next morning, each resident miraculously woke up as if nothing had ever happened. They and the staff at Oak Hills had no recollection of the previous afternoon's events. It was a rather normal day at the facility. 
The only thing out of the ordinary was a finding made by one of the early morning housekeepers who had entered the parlor room to turn on the lights and open the window shades. As the housekeeper was making his way from the window back to the door, he noticed something lying on the floor at the center of the room. It was Mills's beat-up Martin acoustic guitar and crumpled-up case. Millie Baker never arrived to work that afternoon and could not be located a day later when the administrator of Oak Hills called the police to conduct a wellness check. After weeks of investigation, it was deemed that there was no foul play involved in Millie Baker's disappearance. It was as if she had vanished into thin air. The residents and staff at Oak Hills mourned the loss of Mills. The place was just not the same without her. It was suggested by several staff and residents that there be something dedicated at the facility in Mills's memory. After close consideration, it was decided that her guitar would be placed in a glass case and put on display in the lobby at Oak Hills with a plaque reading, In Loving Memory of Millie Mills Baker. A beautiful soul, so full of song and light. And there, her six-string sat, now an artifact from a distant past, but once a driving machine with a purpose. Thanks for listening, and thank you so much again to Scott Ergola for this week's story. It was so much fun to produce. I love doing demon voices. I love editing them. They're just so much fun. I love it. If you ever add a demon voice into your story, then I will be happy. If you like this show, you can follow it on social media at Scare You to Sleep on Twitter or X or whatever you call it now. Uh, Instagram and Facebook. There's a Facebook group. And also, you can get the show ad-free on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to patreon.com slash scare you to sleep. And for, again, as little as a dollar a month, you can get the show ad-free. Starting at $3 and up, you get bonus episodes. And if you'd like your story to be turned into this thing that I do, then send it to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com to be considered. There's also a new episode of my other show, Historic Hangouts, out right now. And if you go to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, I put a little clip on there just as a little little sneak peek to, as to what you're getting into because it's very, very different than this show. It's a comedy, uh, or at least I think it's a comedy. It's, I think it's funny, but it's, it's a history podcast that I do with my husband and we talk about historic hangouts and all the cool sexy people that hung out in them so go check that out our latest episode is on lafitte's blacksmith shop and bar in new orleans and if you're new to the show and probably coming from creepy i had such i've had so many kind amazing people come over from the creepy podcast i'll never be able to thank john enough i'm going to have to send john grills a fruit basket or something because you've all been so kind and polite i've gotten so many messages like telling me you've come over from creepy and i love stuff like that it just makes me so happy it's like you're so excited 
that you found my show that you want to introduce yourself. And I love that. I love when you introduce yourselves to me. And so, yeah, I just wanted to point out that, yes, I do, even on this show, read all of my stories. I kind of go with the vibe of, you know, someone telling you a bedtime story. That's why I say it up top. So, yeah, I do read all the stories myself. And I hope that's cool with you. It's been cool with a whole lot of people. So, (laughs) you know, I just want it to feel like it's just you and me and it's bedtime and I'm here to scare you to sleep. (laughs) I also, at the end of every episode, do a little thing called a ramble other than my guided nightmares. I don't do them at the end of guided nightmares. Guided nightmares are just encompassed into what they are, just a guided meditation where you die at the end, and I take you through something horrifying. And I've heard a few of you actually had nightmares after them, and a few of you said you had really good dreams after them. So, you know, it's a gamble. It's a lot of fun. I love doing them. So if also, if you're new here, check out the guided nightmares. If you're into the sort of guided meditation, ASMR type thing, it's not full ASMR, but it's like, it's a guided meditation. And uh, yeah, if you, if you dare go check one out, I have a few that are uh, put into collections called an omnibus and they're just huge chunks of like two and a half hours worth of several of them in a row but I also have them individually and I think if you're on Spotify quite a few of your fellow listeners have made po- uh, uh, playlists full of just guided nightmares which is so cool I've been discovering that you guys are making playlists of my show of like favorite episodes or just the guided nightmares or just the ones that I wrote and it's really flattering and I think that's really really cool that you're going out of your way to do that it just makes me feel special it makes me feel special So yes, at the end of most of my episodes, though, I do a little ramble where I like to decompress with you at the end, where we just talk about my week and things and you drift off to sleep or calm or finish your dishes or finish folding your laundry or finish up at the gym. You know, I listen to podcasts at the gym, but I've never I don't know if my podcast is like a gym listen. Let me know if you listen at the gym. Oh, speaking of letting me know, I've been really appreciating all the comments on Spotify. That's been really fun to go through a lot of them. I wish I could reply to the comments because they're not reviews. You know, I understand why you can't reply to reviews like on Apple. That is totally fine. But uh, the comments, sometimes you guys ask me questions or make statements that um, I could I could easily answer if you're having if there's like a confusion or I can point you in the right place. But I can't reply. So sometimes Well, it's kind of like listening to podcasts where sometimes you can hear the host not have the right answer and you're sitting there with the right answer and you just want to scream and say like, no, this is the right answer. And that's how I've been feeling. But um, yeah, so I wish we could reply, but I can't. But I I really appreciate all of your comments. They've been great. And I, I also, if you've been leaving comments about my episodes on Creepy. I've been checking those out too. Uh, Pacific Obadiah, who is over at Creepy as well, who helps edit and things, uh, is a producer of Creepy, uh, has told me to told me to go check them out, and they were right. They're so kind, and they're just really cool to see. What are you guys doing this weekend? Um, it's already late on Friday. I'm so sorry. I really am getting a little. Um, overworked a little bit. I had a pretty busy week. There's stuff I can't get into just for privacy reasons, but I had a, a lot of like personal things this week. Not all, not bad or anything. It's just, there was a lot this week. Um, and I, plus the two episodes per week, you know, one for creepy, one for here. So I'm a little bit tired. And so that's why this episode's a little shorter as well. 
I just, ha I'm running out of steam a little bit, but don't worry. I'm not, I'm not burning out yet. Just getting a little tired. <laughs> so no worries, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to see Poltergeist at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery tomorrow. And I'm so excited. Are you, is any, are any of you going to be there? Cause if you are, feel free to say hi. And I love, I love going to that cemetery. I just love it. I did a video of it. It's on YouTube. It's not great. Um, is it on YouTube or is it just on Patreon? I can't remember. It might just be on Patreon, but it's like I uploaded to YouTube with like a private link. I can't remember if it's available to everyone, but if it's not, it's on, pa if, it, if you can't find it, it's on Patreon, but I, I did a video going there and showing you some of the more famous, you know, um, tombstones and things and some of the celebrities or there's a lot of celebrities there, but, uh, yeah, I love going to that cemetery. So it's, I'm really excited to watch Poltergeist there and pack a little picnic and yeah, just have fun. So I hope you're all having a great weekend and I, all right, I'm going to go. I just started the game, um, the return of the Obra Dinn. I'm, I know I'm pretty behind, but I am loving it so far. It's this really cool game where this ship shows up and all of the crew is either dead or missing and you have to figure out what happened to all of them and it's a puzzle game and it's beautifully done. It's done by the same people who did Papers, Please and it's really, really cool. You have this like compass that's like a, it's like a magic death compass that shows you how these people were murdered and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get to that and chill and get this episode to you. The more I talk, the longer it takes for this to get to you. So I've got to go. All right. I love you. Go get some sleep. Oh, sorry. Go drink your water. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.